We're all gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello, and welcome to the G&T Dwarfcast on G&T. <laughs> yes, that's right. This is our Series 11, Episode 3 commentary for Give and Take, the episode. It's got the same initials as us, you see. We're quite pleased about that. Uh, I'm Ian Symes, and joining me as always are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And if you would like to watch Give and Take while we watch Give and Take and talk about Give and Take, then give us a minute and take your remote to press play at the end of these pips. Nice. Give us a it's minute. Be a good one. <laughs> Give us a minute. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Here it is. Here it is. Uh, we are watching the best episode of Series 11 ladies and gentlemen, according to the Pearl Poll, uh, give and take, finish 39th, uh, which was just outside the fabled top 36 bubble, uh, which I remember it was really disappointing because both give and take and MCOR were in the top 36 for most of the poll. Yeah. Most of the time it was open and then right at the last minute on the last day, I think we got a flurry of votes that pushed them both down. Because uh, I think it's 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 certainly the strongest episode of this series. I think so. Uh, it, there's one other that yeah, is I was gonna close say, to my affections. I'm curious as to whether Crisis... Because um, I'm really looking forward to seeing that again. I'm curious whether that kind of picks up. But anyway, this is give and take with an ampersand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were so pleased. <laughs> and in fact, uh, on the Red Dwarf game... Uh, the Red Dwarf 11 game when that was first released it had the list of episodes in it and it had give and take yeah. with the word rather than the ampersand and then we requested as part of one of your Let's Play videos Capsa you've yeah. laid the challenge out to Ian Game Digits to change it to an ampersand and then we were delighted when he did immediately changed yeah because <laughs> <laughs> we are rampant egotists <laughs> This, is, this some is the first appearance, I think, of Daniel Barker, uh, the voiceover person who is playing the lift. Yeah. Uh, who basically then appeared in five, I think it was five consecutive episodes, all playing different voice characters. And like basically leapfrogging almost everyone in terms of, you know, number of characters, number of appearances in Red Dwarf. Uh, like, I think Tony Hawk still beats him in terms of episodes, but. Uh, I think he's number two now. So he didn't manage uh, Promised Land. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good. I like this. Um, and also, look, a scutter. Like, when was the last time oh, you've yeah. seen a scutter? Well, uh, this was the first episode recorded for Series 11. Uh, Twentica was the last. <coughs> uh, they rejigged them all round. And there's a few bits coming up that kind of which we'll get to, that suggests that this is supposed to carry on directly from the beginning. Yeah, there's uh, a few yeah, little references back, isn't there? The first of the epic 12-episode production block. For the for the, the fact that this is the first recorded, like everyone's really on their game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
The strong script as well, just like the concept, yeah. is a very good one. It's one. It's one of those um, rare flowers that is a, um, <laughs> a slightly wibbly wobbly timey wimey Doug script that holds together. I think actually makes sense. Yeah. Just about. <laughs> and there's some bits. There was a lot of debate at the time. I remember about kidneys. Yes. Uh, and the I'm going to see if I can piece it together while we watch and remind myself of what the sequence of events were. If I remember rightly, there's a bit of Bill and Ted logic going on as well. Yeah, yeah. But you, but to be fair, it doesn't. It's for the sake of the comedy, it's fine. Yeah. Oh, Captain Bollocks! Captain I forgot Bollocks. Captain Bollocks was this episode. <laughs> the catchphrase that was so powerful that it spawned merchandise before it even aired on TV. <laughs> Which was actually quite a big deal for <laughs> because uh, I've doubtless every time we talk about this scene, I talk about this, but the provenance of Captain Bollocks, in case anyone doesn't know, is that um, it was coined during an outtake uh, originally in Terraform that was not used on the Smegups tape, but was used in a rough cut of the Smegups tape, which ended up getting into you know the hands of fans and has been passed around. It's currently on YouTube. Uh, link in the show notes to our analysis of it. Um, but yeah, there's there's a bit where uh, Chris Barry says, "I want you to uh, hand me my spacesuit, the one with oh bollocks." And Robert goes, "Oh, I love that one, Captain Bollocks." <laughs> and so when those T-shirts came out, like three or four weeks before this episode came out, <laughs> I was very confused as to why they'd released a T-shirt with a reference to an old Smegup that wasn't even released. <laughs> I don't know whether that was a deliberate callback from Doug to the original Captain Bollocks or just a complete coincidence. I probably suspect the latter. Yeah. I will say as well, so I watched this earlier (laughs) on UK TV and it appears that the the main version that's on there is a (laughs) pre-watershed version with Bollocks beeped out, which completely Mm. torpedoes the whole scene. So, well done. Again, in the show notes, we've got an article on censorship of this series for repeats i wonder if that's because like the last time it was repeated on dave it was pre-watershed and so that's what oh, the they always just grab the latest play. yeah but that might be bollocks or put it another way that might be <laughs> cut to the drop not the giraffe. <laughs> I'm a fucking obsessed with giraffe. giraffes um so this, let's talk about this location Forley Power Station. Forley Power Station. I was almost going to say Sudbury Pump House. So I was about to ask, yeah, the, it's not, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's a similar aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, and they do return to Sudbury Pump House in Series 12. Ah, yes. There we go. Uh, Forley Power Station, which is near Southampton. Uh, and I believe has since been knocked down. I think it was going to be knocked down. be knocked down. Very shortly after they recorded here, I think. Yeah. But it's such an amazing location. And it's so evocative of just the sort of place you'd expect where dwarfs to be in. Also, how like uh, exactly back to reality is this shot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're telling me this skeleton committed suicide? <laughs> yeah. And the, 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 in this scene here, the cat the cat is being daft and, and stupid, but in a way that, like, you know, following on from some samsara, in a way that actually makes some sort of sense. <laughs> and helps to progress the plot. Yeah. You know, there's a purpose to it. Is this, this Folly Power Stairs as well? This curved... Yeah. It, just makes it looks think so lovely, Chernobyl. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It does like a Russian... Yeah. There's, there was that shot of a Russian um, power station that looks just like this, but a bit more 
decrepit. Yeah. Speaking of decrepit. Oh, snacky. He's 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 a he's a, a marmite figure. <laughs> he probably serves marmite <laughs> as well, but I love snacky. I'm a fan of snacky. I enjoy Snacky. A lot of people were disappointed that he didn't appear more <laughs> in other episodes. Yeah, like he's, just in the background would have been good. He's Red Dwarf's well, he chameleon. Is one of, he's one of very, yeah, <laughs> chameleon, the Father Ted, uh, not Father Ted, but <laughs> character. What is wrong with all of us today? God, he didn't write that as well. <laughs> chameleon. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, uh, he is one of the very few Red Dwarf guest stars who not only survives, um, but is actually supposed to be living on board Red Dwarf. Yeah. That he could turn up at any point. The secret is to Maybe not be a, a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's going to be a future bottle episode where the you know the main cast aren't available. Yeah. So it's going to be the adventures of Snacky and then Hoagie the Rogie turns up. <laughs> and all these are like space and Butler and all these other space <laughs> neighbors. <laughs> a really weird reference to is it Ronald Littlewood who is never mentioned again and it's yes. a, I don't know if there was plans for that that fell through but it stuck out at the time like a sore thumb mm. and I remember speculating about it and we all kind of thought oh maybe it's going to be that's going to be relevant later either this series or series 12. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think a year later series in hindsight it's maybe just a way to show that Snacky is really observant. And has a very yeah. good memory for people and you know, what they do. But maybe it would make more sense if it was someone that we knew. Like, oh, I, I've served your former colleague Todd Hunter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Rather, rather than making you think, well, he's Ronald Littlewood. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, uh, yeah, and having a new name in there out of nowhere makes it sound like the name is significant. Mm. But it could be anyone. We've just talked over... One of the best jokes of the series, which is Asclepius, Asclepius turning up and saying, "I used to be mad, but um, what does he say? I've got a note, and it's a I've got a certificate. I've got a, yeah, a pip pin to the wall, and no, no longer insane." I mean, to be fair, if that is meant to be a benevolent creature, it is the worst design of a benevolent robot <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So those kidneys, kidneys are incidental. Right, kidneys. I think. Yeah, I think what the gist is, is because Asclepius is genuinely benevolent despite all appearances, he has identified that uh, Lister needs kidneys, and so has like maybe got them out of storage, yeah. like their donor kidneys, uh, but they assume that he's uh, removed them from Lister and Cat. Lister and or Cat. So he's mad, but he's not malevolent. Yeah. He's, Free yeah, he's insane, but he was trying to fix Lister's problem because Lister, spoilers if you haven't seen the episode, <laughs> Lister <laughs> later turns out arrived with no kidneys in the first place. Why the fuck would your and first so... like foray into this episode <laughs> listen to us talking about? Yeah, the same, the same people that uh, haven't read the other Red Dwarf books. This yeah. is such a good shot as well. I love it these. It is, and I should movies. mention as well is that there's some fantastic atmospheric directing going on during, like, fl- mm. especially flashes of it during this, and also the whole scene leading up to this point, uh, the sound design of the uh, of the asteroids hitting the space station when they're in, because we know it's going to disintegrate any minute. Yeah. It's just this constant barrage, and it really like adds to the atmosphere. It it's feels very really film-like, well put together. It? Yes, yeah. yeah. There's two more great elements to it as well. There's a great Howard Goodall cue. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got 
like sort of heroic strains of the Red Dwarf theme as our heroes escape. Now there's that kind of uh, like also, discordant bit when it kind of diverts from yeah. It goes a bit like it branches away and gets a bit goes a bit strange. Yeah, it's like it's like a classic Red Dwarf crew. It has the motifs that we recognise and and creates a new mood and does new things with them. Uh, but also there's an effect shot in there, um, which is great, of Starbug escaping through this corridor of fire. It was so good, it was reused in The Promised Land. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, following a great Red Dwarf tradition of, oh, we've got this model shot in the bank, let's not waste any money on it. Specifically launching out of a, a bay. Starbug <laughs> yeah. launching out of a bay is... They're complicated things to put together, presumably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is this bed uh, nicked from Prometheus. It's yeah. This was yes. the bo- yeah borrowed. The word is borrowed. <laughs> borrowed from Prometheus. Yeah, that bed was merely resting in GMP's account. <laughs> oh, great Doctor Who quote. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. So the the running thing of Rimmer, he's a bit too pleased, obviously about. Lister being in mortal danger, but it's done in quite a nice way because he's just this running gag of didn't I t- didn't I tell you we'd say that didn't I tell you we'd feel like that is actually quite it's quite well pitched mm-hmm. I think it's not just Rimmer being completely gleeful it's just he's enjoying getting one up on Rim- on Lister <laughs> and on Crichton presumably well yeah that's true yeah of anyone Rimmer and- yeah. Rimmer and Crichton, I imagine that them, you see, any snippets you see of their conversation, it's Rimmer constantly trying to outdo meditation droid. Now, this is the kind of thing where I like snacky. Yeah. <laughs> it's just good physical comedy. It's, it's, it's such a waste, well, uh, you know, not a waste of a pop because it's done its job, but like, presumably that ex- that's um, <laughs> stored away somewhere, or you'd hope, maybe not, but um, it'd be nice to use it. I'd, I'd, def- I'd definitely like to see someone take on the challenge to do that for the Dimension Jump. Costume competition. <laughs> no, Robert's doing quite a good job here. Like I, I have an unkind memory of him basically flubbing his way through this entire two <laughs> series, but um, he's quite high energy. It's just and that, he's doing yeah, well. it's just that every now and then they include a take where he's stumbled or hesitated. And it sounds like Robert. Yeah, uh, yeah. and because that's rare in any kind of program really <laughs> yeah <laughs> like since retakes existed sort of from the 80s onwards uh it stands out and so yeah it taints your view i guess but yeah he does far more right than he gets wrong by far have we had the fifa gag yet no not yet okay because <laughs> he has to lie to the cat and in order to do that he's talking about how good am I at lying oh right yeah okay All right, I'll save my hot take then it's not a hot take <laughs> hot cake <laughs> so this this portion of the pot, plot pot, it's all pot based pot. on the misconception of who Snacky is and obviously the audience have known this since like the first five minutes of the episode and I think maybe it's just play, it's played out a little bit too much because there's all this jeopardy about the cat donating a kidney and it's all for nothing and everyone watching knows it's for nothing. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah, that's not occurred to me before. <laughs> <laughs> we know that they're on a wild goose chase, but they don't. Yeah. And that's fine for um, a, a chunk, but 
this feels like maybe a good third of the episode <laughs> is dedicated to this particular bit. Mm. <clears throat> and then all the interesting timey-wimey stuff really only turns up right at the last minute. Right at the end, yeah. It's lucky that it's fairly, you know, kind of tightly dealt with. And, yeah. Um, and, like, is that, and also, like, I can't believe I've just looked at the uh, time code and we're halfway through the episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's just whipped by so fast, all the stuff on the uh, on the derelict. Yeah, just like, um, you know, just like episodes of old. That's what we say on yeah. very many of our commentaries of the... That's true. You know, we haven't said it so much in the Dave era and, and um, when we were mopping up the Series 7 and 8. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird, though, because the older series usually had the action towards the back end of the episode, where a lot of these episodes, especially in this series and the next one, seem to have a sort of like a chunk of action in the beginning, the first 10 minutes, and then it's mm. standard, not standard Slow plot, down. but just the normal plot is, you know, towards the end. The, yeah, the consequences of all that action yeah. happens afterwards yeah. for longer. Some genuine good good character stuff for the cat, which um, doesn't come along very often. But just mm. like just genuinely being upset and indignant, and saying I hate doing what's right, is really quite <laughs> honest. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's one of the themes of the development, really, of him losing his cat-like qualities in favour yeah. of becoming more humanised. But it. him acknowledging that that is a, a conflict, yeah, rather than it just happening. Ah, here's the bit. Um, I've recently discovered my father wasn't my father. Yeah. Uh, so that is the only reference post the beginning to the revelations in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes more sense that this is, you know, this happens immediately afterwards and then he never mentions it again. Yeah. The, I like the shape of this, but I think the individual lines feel a bit too much like lol random rather than them actually containing any... <laughs> <laughs> genuine bits of I don't know of punchline within them. It's uh, it's a good Chris Barry showcase. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think the best thing about it is the performance, the way that he he does. You know, he does an angry one, he does a sad one. You know, he goes through his does his uh, show reel. Yeah, Chris Chris Barry. <clears throat> I mean, Craig Charles is the original kind of one to turn around his performances I would say from like series 8 era where people tended to not be too impressed but through to back to earth where you know things really picked up but I think Chris Barry does this, has a similar journey maybe mm. starting from this point where he really does start to get back Rimmer um, yeah yeah. I think there is a big improvement yeah. between the 10 and this block yeah definitely which carried on into the the promised land I thought Chris was on. Yeah, where it's like, yeah, which is, I still, I increasingly feel like the promised land is like the best episode of the, um, of the post BBC era. FIFA joke. Yes. Make your point. Do you remember when the ins (laughs) and outs and corruption of FIFA was genuinely one of the most important things for a certain type (laughs) of person on the internet? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was filmed in 2015 and, it was it well, was genuinely like you know people were furious about it and now I don't think I could give a single fuck about what I think we've just doing. accepted that it's the case <laughs> like we can't change it it's always going to be corrupt it's true but it's like, like that <clears> stupid <throat> fucking World Cup is still going to be in guitar yeah but you know and 
but now we're like if the world cup happens i mean who knows if it's i mean yeah <laughs> there, are, there are certain things that have put world events that have put other world events uh, is the world cup going to be a year after the euros don't know is yeah. the euros going to happen don't know don't know I, is yeah but you mentioned that it was a, there was a time when that was important. It was quite a long time, evidently, because that joke was originally recorded uh, in Series 10 and was a deleted scene. Oh. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head which episode, uh, but it is in a deleted scene on the Series 10 DVD. And that was when the Qatar announcement was made, around about that time. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Qatar and Russia at the same time. It was yeah. a double whammy. Yeah. And then after that, it was all the extra corruption that of the fallout of that, which was a few years later, which was this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah learned the extent of it. And uh, nothing happened. Yeah. So this is them um, essentially tricking the cat yeah, into really uh, bad. giving his consent for the operation. Which, uh, this, yeah. this, they should be using this to... To, to convince, you know, hearts and minds rather than let's do it to trick him into signing a legal document that actually has no bearing anyway because we are the authority in deep space um, and yeah. then just drugging him. Like, they should be trying to change his mind so he naturally comes to the conclusion after he's been taught his lesson. So it's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> It is. It's quite <laughs> complicated as well. I remember to remind myself what the trick is. <laughs> yeah, is they, Crichton goes in and does his Arkwright impression. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that was it. yeah. <laughs> One of the many, 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 many ways in which Robert has portrayed what happens to Crichton when he lies. It's never the same yeah. twice. <laughs> Like, who cares if a form is signed? Who's who's checking forms? Who's enforcing <laughs> things? Maybe it all has to be scanned into the uh, JMC computer uh, yeah. that's in charge in Dear Dave and <laughs> doesn't really get mentioned again. NHS is in terrible state. Patients having a top and tail. What? Why is the cat as like looking like Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, oh, he's a Dracula. He's a Dracula, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I like, like that. it couldn't be worse if it wasn't Dale Millen Keats. Right, and announces it and pulls a face as if someone's actually died. He says Milton Keynes with such dread. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> perfect. And as anyone who's been to Milton Keynes will tell you, it's. Grossly correct. <laughs> what was it? A, a, a previous episode. And we're doing these so close together now. I actually remember previous ones where you said that uh, there's there's pe various people throughout history that have the role in comedy of being like the ugly one or the fat one. That's yeah, always, and Milton Keynes is always the shit the city. Chair. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. in the chair. Milton Keynes is in the shit city chair forever. <laughs> it's not even a city. It's a town. <laughs> it's just. Beehive of roundabouts and fuck all else. <laughs> oh, a hole in the ground that they call a music venue. Oh, yeah. 
Listen, I'll have you know that um, Alex Newsom of Gaspacho Soup had his uh, stag do in Milton <laughs> Keynes because uh, he left it up to people like me and Seb to organise. <laughs> and so he found himself in Milton Keynes. <laughs> This um the the this new power no wonder they've forgotten like they've just written snacky out because if you keep snacking you're kind of hanging a lampshade on the fact that you've got this very powerful time travel ability that you're not using yeah so it's yeah and it's kind of spiritual sequel to stasis leak in that it's it, in fact they reference it don't they it's like it's using the stasis booth but to deliberately create a stasis leak so they can do it on will yeah. And very specifically, by the sounds of it, they will go back exactly three days, and they did. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> they could do all sorts. This also has a bit of a, a thanks to the memory kind of feel about it as well. Yeah. Yeah, just the, the way things loop around and yeah. click into place. Yeah. yeah, having to rediscover your actions of your past self. Yeah. I think like it actually almost comes as a bit of a shock when you when we first watch this episode when you when you suddenly realize that the very first scene the very first <clears> two <throat> scenes directly um link into the overall plot that's not something we're actually used to with new dwarf we're used to the opening yeah. scenes being incidental and little gentle setups yeah. um it, either that or something that's kind of thematically linked yeah, so like that sets up what mood the characters are in or re, you know reflects themes from later on but yeah, this time, not only is it relevant to the plot, but it's a twist that it's relevant to the plot. Yeah. And yeah, the, the moment, I definitely remember the moment of realisation of, oh, they're doing this story. This is the type of story they're doing all of a sudden with five minutes to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's a good, it's definitely a good surprise. And that's probably why the episode is held in such high regard, really, I'd say. It's not only that the plot is good and like involves time travel, which is always fun and it makes sense, but also... Uh, the fact that we were sold a dummy and were happy with the price negotiated. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's obviously done very quickly and Snacky's realisation that he has all this information is is good in itself, but I, it may be this, this part, maybe, or this realisation from him needed a bit more space. We need more time with Snacky to see his growth. Mm. Um but there's nitpicky, really. And again, like you say, maybe if they'd have discovered his identity earlier, then there could have been... I mean, it, like, it's it's churlish to... This isn't a criticism, because it's, it was basically a, diff, a completely different story. But a completely different story would have been, like, Asclepius becoming accepted as part of, you know... Yeah. Them being angry with him at first for not being who they thought he was, but then him coming to terms with, uh, you know, getting accessing his intelligence, them going to like him and stuff. So I've just waffled on over the best bit of the episode. <laughs> yeah, the amazing <laughs> effects shot. Yeah, like great by worthy. But yeah, it but done in a way that was completely unavailable to Ed by in yeah. the late eighties, <laughs> early nineties. Because uh, yeah, it's like split screen is no longer just a line, a straight line drawn down the screen. Split screen, split screen, and green screen. Yeah, and rotoscoping. Yeah. Is the door closing as he comes into the scene as well at the beginning? I can't remember. Oh, that would be... Yeah. We'll we'll check after when we're finished. I'll skip back. <laughs> <clears throat> so, 
it, um, at the beginning of the episode, I took it, the passage of time, under my understanding, was Rimmer has this conversation with the lift, and then he immediately wakes Lister up. And, and Lister's been asleep for two days at that point. So are we to assume that actually Lister has this conversation with the lift, and then two weeks passes, and then he finds the space station and wakes Lister up? Uh... You know I don't know I mean? about two weeks. I think it's they say three that, days. Oh, sorry, two days. Sorry, yeah, sorry. two days. Yeah, <laughs> two weeks. Yeah, if he's out for days, two weeks, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's very serious. No, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think there is supposed to be a gap between the first Rimmer lift scene and and Rimmer going into. God, yeah, right. in just order for dump it to him work. in the bed. Fucking hell! Yeah, yeah, because he he has to have been in his bunk for two days because that's what he says when he comes in. <laughs> or hang on, I might be wrong here, but if they they took him back to their time to do the operation, uh, and then dumped him, and then travelled back to the past to dump him there, no. so the two days could have passed. I think there. they did the operation in their time, in the okay. in the past time. They must have in done. The past. Oh, <laughs> this is what I get for rabbiting on over the complicated. Thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I'm not sure if it's necessarily made clear. Down. Um, so it's it's up to interpretation there. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah. <laughs> you have absolutely no reason to be a dick to this lift, Rimmer. Now that he knows the reason why yeah. the lift wasn't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is uh, the first example of Series 11, but not the last. <laughs> of a really abrupt ending. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's not that it's bad, like, but it makes sense at least. It's not like one of those where you go, "What the fuck happened there?" But it's just so quick cutting between that shot of the lift going down yeah. straight into the credits. There's no breathing space for the joke to land, really. Yeah. Or the lift to land. <laughs> yeah, there should be. Yeah, maybe just a, a couple of seconds more sound effects. Yeah. Like, cut Rattle to black and, and then, like, you know, continue the sound or something. Just give it yeah. a bit of room. Because there's no time for, like, an audience reaction either. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's probably what it is. That's, that's, yeah, there's death. no laugh or anything that kind of happens. Yeah. It's, there's no, yeah. I think that's what's wrong with it, to be fair. It's just that there's a lack yeah. of a reaction to it. It's just instant. Yep, yeah, and that makes it feel sort of unresolved. Mm. So, yeah, okay. I'm just gonna quickly right. go back Let's to uh, everyone skip back to the beginning. Yeah, I'm doing that. <laughs> we'll see this opening shot. <laughs> da, 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 da. Uh, Red Dwarf Eleven. Created by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. Oh, that's good. Oh, those guys. <laughs> Did uh, you it's hear on the? Yes, yes, it is. Is it? It is. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so cool. <clears throat> oh yes, the exact same shot. That's it is literally the same. No one noticed. That's very cool. <laughs> And you're right. You don't pause it. Yes. You don't. No, you don't notice it at all. That's very cool. That that is that's that's added an extra tick for me of that one because that's some that's an attention <laughs> to detail that didn't need to be there. But that's great. It it does feel like Doug as a director, like at the kind of at his height almost. Like he seems he seems to be very confident and like there's just loads of just really mm. nifty little details that you wouldn't necessarily have expected in ten. Yeah. Nice. If Doug wasn't writing the show as well as directing it, I think he'd do like he'd be have more time to do this kind of stuff. And it's just because yeah. his his time is split 
multiple ways. It feels like there's not enough time to do either. Well, there's of those a, a school of thought properly. as well um, in telly, not Red Dwarf specifically, but it kind of bears out. Um, the first episode of something uh, that you record is always going to be a little bit more polished. You always because you've always got a bit more time to spend on it. So like, yeah, he'll he'll have had a full pre-production period of thinking about just this episode but then once you get into the run uh, and you're doing an episode every week there's always going to be you know late rewrites of the script means you've lost time to block right. it and etc it's it's um, it's like a compressed version of the band's first album the band's first yeah. album is written over the course of maybe te- 10 years and the second album's written over the course of a year <clears throat> yeah okay yeah that makes sense yeah, so they've got so and, and things happen that are un, you know unprepared like mm-hmm. like budget constraints and that kind of stuff that slowly eat away and then episode six ends up being rushed to hell because you haven't got time. To yeah, do, yeah. I mean, always in Red Dwarf, the last episode of a run is uh, is a bit weird. Well, that's broad. what gives it a kind of frisson, like the, yeah. the out of time. So is that something excitement? that's kind of just endemic for all productions, or is it the fact that we hear about it from Red Dwarf because we get a lot more? Like we we're a lot more savvy and a lot more knowledgeable mm-hmm. about the production process of this series in particular. Is that just a byproduct? Yeah, well, of, I, I guess know? I don't know. A lot of contemporary drama and non-audience sitcom um, would avoid that problem by not shooting episode by episode. and not <laughs> yeah. being sci-fi. <laughs> I think Red Dwarf is uniquely complicated for one um, audience sitcom with sci-fi elements. Uh, the fact that Doug is spread across so many areas um and has so much control that you know there's only so much one man can do Mm. um but yeah it is kind of endemic when you've got a series of something that yeah for the first episode or two will have um will have had more time and then by the time you get to the end there's always overlaps from the previous episodes or or something to take time away When, when you're once you're locked into shooting on these dates um, then those deadlines won't shift, and so if you lose time to do something else, yeah. then you'll never. So it always seems like as if it's like, oh god, why can they never seem to get this worked out? Like it always seems like as if, this, like with Red Dwarf, it's always like they just do they not learn? Because it seems like every single time they do it, it's always mm. the same problems. But like I said, it seems to be just our problem with the fact that maybe it's in, and that's it. It's just it's just the fact that you know that's just how the production is scheduled and therefore that's yeah. why you have these you have these same same old same olds you know every time you you know there's always these same problems arising every time just cause... another another reason why the um the new feature length special model is a good idea yes because it's one yeah, story it gives you a lot more flexibility yeah you can't rush an end of something that's only dependent on any productions happening really it's a it's it it's a good episode i do like it, it definitely deserves its place on the pearl pole it definitely i went mad for it at the time yeah i, I, I remember I really really getting into it because i think it was just because it was a much more it was much more of a red dwarfy kind of plot like it, yeah. like a lot of them are kind of if you take the bare bones out it's like it just ends up being quite a standard sitcom idea or something but we give and take it's very much more a red dwarf sci-fi plot and we were definitely ready for that at the time because we'd had, like, if you think, you know, we'd had Twentica, which was great, but it was a Gunman episode, so it was a format breaker. A format breaker. And then Samsara was shit. And so we um kind of a bit of a, I don't know, a good a good Red Dwarf-y Red Dwarf. Basically. The thing is, Samsara, again, was a good plot device using a sci-fi concept just executed in a very fudgy way. And it was yeah. just, like, not really explored to its full potential, which is a shame because it has lots of legs. 
But <laughs> so many legs. It has many legs. But just, yeah, it's a shame that they couldn't oh, explore it in the, the time they had. You know? <laughs> yeah, I will reserve uh, judgment as to whether it's my favourite episode of the series uh, after I've rewatched the next couple, because I think the next the next two are the other contenders. I mean, can of worms might, might come in as like a late contender. You never know. You do never know. I, I, if I do it know. Somehow it has not gonna been changed in the last. <laughs> I do. I absolutely <laughs> know that it's not going to be in there. <laughs> you no, never no, know. I do. I do At no, some do, point do, in the last four years, <laughs> someone could have sneaked into our houses and, and replaced our DVDs, Blu-rays, and downloads with new versions <laughs> that have a different episode in place. And if that is the case, then there is a small chance that it might be better okay. than Crisis. They've just replaced it with like one of the fan films from 2004. I think as we are already descending into waffles, we might as well make it official and uh, introduce uh, everyone's favourite section of the podcast, which is... Ah, so you're a waffle man. (laughs) (laughs) So what's on the menu today for the waffles? We'll start off with some waffles about actual waffles. Uh, International Debris asks, as waffle men... I'd like to know about your feelings of Lister's waffle breakfast in the last day. How tasty does it look? Out of the bin? Would you eat it off his head? I will not eat it out of the bin. I will not eat it <laughs> off his head. I do not like international debris. Yes. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it honestly, like, what is it? Like maple syrup, honey, jam, waffle. I was yeah. like, oh, these are Belgian waffles, I assume. These are not, these are not potatoes. Not bird's eye potato not, waffles. No, 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 not, not as waffly versatile. But yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it looks fucking delicious, even when he pulls out and puts in his hat. To be fair, yeah, I've always, I've always kind of like looked at that. Series three's actually got a, a couple of bits like that. Like obviously the um, the dog food. Well, yeah, the banquet, you know, the mashed potato and everything. It's oh. like, oh, I, do you know what? I'd <laughs> the gravy, I'd, man. The gravy. I'd destroy that mashed potato. Yeah. But yeah, no, it does. It looks good. I don't know if I'd eat it out of a bin. It depends on the the status of the bin prior to uh, putting yeah. it all in there. Well, I would, I would like it if there was a bit of a bin where you would have the actual bin and then the section of the bin where Craig puts his hand into, which is a cleaner section, of the bin, <laughs> in order to get the, the waffle out and put it into his hat. If that was the case, like it is on the set. <laughs> well, you've got Crichton there in his most efficient, mechanoidy yeah. service mode. He probably keeps those bins pretty spick and span. It's first thing in the morning. So he would have changed the bins over and cleaned them overnight, I'd have assumed. He throws a, he throws a bottle out before he gets there, but yeah, that's... Yeah, and you just thing. know that when he cleans mm. the bins, like, he doesn't just change the bag, like, he probably, like, scrubs the bins every every morning. Fourth coat Fourth of beeswax. Coat of beeswax. <laughs> those bins are probably in a better state than the floors, so... <laughs> just a good breakfast of <laughs> yeah. it. it uh, just to clarify, it's uh, waffles, maple syrup, fresh cream and fresh strawberries. See, that just sounds good. I would leave the strawberries in the fucking bin where they belong. You don't like strawberries? I don't like fresh strawberries. I like the, I like synthetic strawberry <laughs> flavours. <laughs> I like uh, strawberry milkshakes. We call them strawberries. <laughs> it's like me and cherries. I could, like, real cherries are absolute bullshit. Yeah, glass um, A cherries. Sugary, oh. yeah. They're just made of sugar and have no fruit content. <laughs> glass A cherries exactly. have their, like, their DNA completely recompiled, so it's just made of sugar. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Like, be che- taxidermied cherries. <laughs> replaced it with Taxidermied cherries. <laughs> uh, the other question is, would you eat it out of Lister's hat? Because uh, yeah, I don't far, think the hat has the same standards of hygiene. There's, there's a thing been. in my town at the moment called VR in Rosendale, and it's like 
you go to this like bit like I, I don't know it's like an exhibition or it's just in a, like a town hall somewhere and there's one vr headset and people are going there and trying it on in this hmm. day and fucking age there is one vr headset that everyone is just coming in and out and wearing and using but anyway that's a roundabout way of saying that no as soon as you're dealing with something that's on someone's head all the time then you're in a whole yeah. different world of... and he never takes it off oh, no. and he's, he's sweated in it he's sweated in it so much it will curdle the fucking cream. I, I, I mean, him eating it out of his heart. Is yeah, it? when it's your own head. Although spot. it is a really good visual gag. <laughs> it's yeah. very, yeah, it's very Lister. Yeah, <laughs> gingerly taking the hat off at the end of the scene. <laughs> One of several bits of good things on Craig Charles's head uh, comedy in Red Dwarf, uh, along with the emo hawk. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> the emo hawk changes into um, itself and his um, space mumps, um, space mumps, yeah. and. Pre and post bursting. Yeah. There's all these unstunts. Would you would you eat the gunk from the space mumps? Um, it looks like egg mayonnaise, so yeah, possibly. <laughs> it looks like really not very good egg mayonnaise. Egg mayonnaise with tomato sauce. Eat, That's what it looks like. Would you eat hot lager with croutons? <laughs> I mean that sounds fucking gross. <laughs> yeah. Hot lager. Hot lager. Like, I've had warm lager. <laughs> like I've not had it actively heated, but warm lager on the it's side weird, that's been left it's, on the yeah, side. Yeah, because a hot lager good. might taste different than, like, if you knew it was going to be hot, that's a different thing. That's not like, I want something cold and it is warm. Intentionally that's not good. It's like you but wouldn't you, drink your coffee when it's gone cold, yeah. but you'd drink iced coffee. I think that was the analogy I was looking for. Is A latte is a different, a, a gone-off latte is not the same as a, a frappe. That's <laughs> not the same thing. Yeah. Iced tea is not tea that's gone cold. <laughs> No, he's a rapper from the eighties. <laughs> from the eighties. Uh, so, in conclusion, <laughs> those are our feelings about Lister's waffle breakfast. <laughs> Congratulations, everyone! We've gone round the houses a little bit. Uh, here's one from Chris Carter. Uh, How's about a waffle about the pros and cons of baby cow getting involved with production on eleven, twelve, and the? Mm. Which I think. Might be a, a quite a kind of one-sided waffle. There are many pros, and I can't think of any potential cons. No, you'd no. have to probably do, like maybe there are, but we don't see any of them on screen, do we? Yeah, we're not parties. To them. Yeah. Um, um, it seems to me that you know, uh, series ten was incredibly, incredibly difficult. It almost um, killed. It for almost, many, many yeah. reasons. There's a two and a half hour documentary about the reasons, yeah. which you can find on the series ten DVD inexplicably. Um, <laughs> but it's clear that a lot of things okay. changed in order to make 11, 12 and the promised land happen. I have a con. And relatively speaking, uh, it's it seems to have been much, much smoother. I have a con. We don't have yeah. the incredibly uncomfortable but entertaining two and a half hour documentaries about why everything's shit uh, anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, 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 the... Robin, uh, with Doug and Charles Armitage basically calling each other cunts in public <laughs> in a documentary yeah where, where it's clear which of them had ultimate creative control over the output yes <laughs> um, uh, yeah the stories the behind the scenes stories are less uh, juicy these days mm. um, but the documentaries are still good yeah. so what we've got like you know Baby Cow basically like on the surface as far as we can tell brought organisation Freed up time from Doug, production yep. executive production time from Doug, so he can do his two jobs, his two creative yeah. jobs. Um, 
presumably were instrumental in the double banking of 11 and 12, which I think we can agree does have its ups and downs, but was mainly a good thing to try. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the conclusion that the crew and cast and crew all came to as yeah. well. The end of the Series 12 documentary concludes that that was the best way to do it. Totally. Um, yeah, I think from what we can tell, and obviously we don't know the ins and outs, but just from an organisational level, like... Um, Grantnader Productions is a very small production company. It, it owns the rights to Red Dwarf, um, and basically Red Dwarf is the only thing that it's made uh, since the mid nineties, mm. uh, when it had a couple of others, I Camcorder and um, what do you call it, Temper Centers. Um, whereas Baby Cow just has all the experience you need in making comedy, um, yeah. and so it has more staff. Um, more permanent staff than Granada Productions and, and has all those expertise on hand um, in a way that's not uh, a sort of central cost to the production um, but when it comes to hiring the crew it has all the contacts and it has all the experience of, of working with yeah. lots of people it's basically mm. Baby Cow is one of the most experienced comedy production companies and Red Dwarf is one of the most complicated comedies to make <laughs> yeah. so you need that expertise, clearly. It sounds to me like it's it's like Baby Cow almost replaced the infrastructure that Grant Taylor Productions clearly used very heavily from the BBC. Like yeah. That, that yeah. infrastructure of workers, of expertise, um, resources, that obviously doesn't, you know, you don't really get as much with the BBC anymore because their individual departments aren't really there. And they're yeah, out. and like the, the, the climate has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, that BBC infrastructure doesn't exist in the same way, but... It's a similar, yeah, similar relationship. Similar difference. Yeah. yeah. So long, long may the relationship continue. I guess. Yep. Yeah. And also, like Baby Cow has had some major changes uh, itself in between Twelve and Promised Land. Henry Normal is one of the co-founders, along with Steve Coogan, has left. Uh, so he was credited as exec on Eleven and Twelve, and I think, if I remember, he left. He left between. Um, filming and broadcast okay, right. uh, and has since been um, replaced and so Red Dwarf had a new executive producer for The Promised Land whose name I can't remember but we'll put it in the show notes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, who, who basically took Henry Normal's place uh, on the Baby Cow board um, and so yeah it continues to go from strength to strength also interestingly it's co-owned by BBC Worldwide now what isn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, definitely Red Dwarf's production and it's like uh, my hometown. It's like most of the businesses, a lot, a lot of the big businesses, are all owned by a single family. Gangsters. Yeah. The Potter BBC are gangsters. Wonderful life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a a philosophical waffle from Ian Page. This one stings. Can you be a fan of something if you only like half of it? Ask old school Star Wars fans. Yeah, <laughs> I would say I've thought about this. Like, there was many, many people that loved the original trilogy and that don't have any time for the other two trilogies. Mm. And I would say that they are definitely Star Wars fans. I think with Red Dwarf, it's I I still like more than half of it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, because you know prior to the Dave era, I liked three quarters of it in mm. terms of series, like slightly under three quarters in terms of episodes, possibly. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, but since the Dave era's come back, there's been more stuff that I like than dislike. Yeah, uh, I think the problem here with Red Dwarf is is that maybe the average temperature between eighty eight and and and. Uh, 1993 the average temperature if temperature was quality was red hot and pleasantly warm let's say yeah. um and that's what a lot of people struggle with is that they don't want they don't want like you know comfy that that's fine stuff from a dwarf they want it to be like like it used to be like you know yeah almost immaculate in in our minds when we were kids so it's a- what well, it is relevant to the half and half thing is that um series 12 took Doug over the threshold um, so like more than half the episodes now are Doug solo mm. uh, there, are, there are more post Rob leaving than there, than there were pre so I guess like if you have no Rook if you have no time for anything post series 6 then yeah you're, yeah, pretty cool. your episodes are in the minority even if I hated everything from series 7 onwards uh, if I hated the Dave era and I thought it was shit uh, then I would still be I would still consider myself a Red Dwarf fan mm-hmm. uh, because I was after series seven and eight. I started G and T in two thousand and two. Yeah, uh, when the most recent Red Dwarf was not very good, um, and by the time the Dave era came along, I was so much. It it was such a huge part of my life that I wouldn't have ever stopped calling myself a fan, even if everything since had been shit. And I think this question can another question, which is: Would we still be doing G and T in this capacity? If Red Dwarf has been had been shit from say from series ten onwards, like if it had mm. been like actively bad, like eight eight levels of bad, where some people did like it a lot, but you know we really didn't, and I think we probably would be. I think we'd still be doing it. We'd enjoy it less, but we'd still be doing. We'd it. still be doing it. We'd have different focus. <laughs> it would be far less pleasant yeah. to listen to. <laughs> we we might like just forget about an episode as soon as we've covered it live. And just focus on the yeah. past stuff, but we'd still be doing G and T because it's. I was going to say I was going to use a football analogy, but then I realised I kind of fell down. But it was like you know, can you still be a fan of a of a shit team? Yes, yes, you can. Well, just ask me and Capsi. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, when Aston Villa got relegated to the Championship, it didn't uh, it didn't stop the fact that we'd previously won the European Cup. Yeah. Uh, so the heights are still there, and it doesn't matter how low you get. It's a loyalty thing, I think, more than anything. Yeah, accolades yeah. don't affect. It, it might affect how often you make the effort to find a legal stream to watch your team live, as it did with, yeah. with me, because it became harder. And But it doesn't stop you being a fan, just because your team's not doing very well. Um, mm. Otherwise, most of football wouldn't <laughs> exist or work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you have another analogy, um, The Simpsons. Mm. The Simpsons has been shit for twice as long as it was good. Yeah. Mm. At this stage, it's been going for thirty years, and only the first ten years are worth bothering with. Um, but I would, I would describe myself as a fan of The Simpsons still because those first few seasons are so good that I just haven't watched anything <laughs> at all, barely anything, and anything that I've caught, I've hated. Um, from probably the turn of the century, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I can be I can call myself a fan of The Simpsons without having no interest whatsoever in watching new Simpsons. And I guess that goes back to the Star Wars analogy. Like people really loved the first three films or the, the original trilogy and really hated everything since. They would still call themselves Star Wars. Yeah, I mean the Star Wars fans that really hate everything from the last um, from the Turn of the Jedi onwards. 
and they're still yeah. like Star Wars fans. Um, you know. <laughs> there were people complaining that Doctor Who wasn't as good as it used to be from the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> Clayton Hickman on Twitter found a review. And that was what, the second episode the sec- of the first story? Yeah, <laughs> okay, the brilliant. second episode. <laughs> Story's not even 100,000 BC. <laughs> Basically, if Red Dwarf becomes like visible shit, then don't worry, Gene Teal will still be here. Is that what you're worried about, Ian? Because mm. uh, don't worry, it'd be fine. <laughs> so, finally, uh, let's round off this waffle uh, with another food-related question. Uh, obscure Nerve has the nerve to ask, uh, what is your preferred lager to go with an extra spicy vindaloo? Well, firstly, I wouldn't have an extra spicy vindaloo, to be honest. It doesn't... I've been, and the only time, the only time I've ever had a vindaloo and not regretted it, Peter Crouch had, uh, a few hours earlier, um, scored the, the winner against um, Middlesbrough, and I was right behind the goal. <laughs> I think it was 2-1. And we'd all gone back to my friend's house and um, just really cheap lager, like, you know, when the sort of lager you buy when you're 20 and um or even younger than that. supermarket yeah lager. supermarket lager and i just had i had a vindaloo i decided to get a vindaloo and i had this really cheap lager and it was fucking brilliant <laughs> it was perfect like just one mouthful and then some lager and it was absolutely perfect that was uh that was lagers great. did you previously have before this some occurred? lagers <laughs> we'd gone to like uh yeah we've been at the pub beforehand i was with like you know my friends most of whom were like um in the middlesbrough end i think it was me and one other person were in the villa end of that, that day um so re- really cheap lager in my experience is the best lager <laughs> cuts through it i do i'm quite basic and i do like the traditional sort of a kingfisher with a curry uh, there's, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a specific Indian brand of beer that comes in a tiny bottle. We had a, some of our neighbours were Hindus when I was growing up, and they used to, like two or three times a year on feast days, it was um, their tradition to just supply their neighbours with just a fucking banquet, basically. Amazing. <laughs> They'd slave away for a week making all this food and then just deliver it to our house with all these tiny bottles of lager, uh, which is a very <laughs> warm memory. Because I'd have been about 13 or 14 at the time, so oh, having any type tiny of, bit tiny of lager. lager. Uh, but no, I don't really like really hot curry, and I don't really like cheap lager. So There is a high you get. Like um, I can see why people really like are chasing after like more and more spicy things, because maybe if your brain's wired in a particular way, you do get, like, you get curry drunk, you get you get like a buzz, mm-hmm. and it, um, you know. But other times it's really unpleasant, and it ruins a good meal, so... Yeah, I think because like most, because if curries are kind of oil based, I think the beer does something to kind of break it down a bit. Like I think mm. that kind of helps from a you know it's like like milk rather than water. Everyone kind of goes that whole thing. I need water when I've you know had a hot thing. Mm. It's like well that'll do fuck all because it's oil based. It'll just go right over the top. It'll do right, yeah. Um, in fact, if anything, it'll spread it about and make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like you- usually like, fizzy drinks and stuff are usually better for kind of knocking down. So like if it was. Like I just yeah I can't do cheap lager. It's normally normally like a blonde beer, you know, like a a white beer. That's what I tend to go for with anything like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's similar. It's similar concepts, just a little like bit. Garden, a little bit higher like class. Well, I will admit that I have like always avoided kind of hot spicy food because because my dad avoided hot spicy food, so we never really had it in the house mm. until I kind of went to Sweden and discovered that Thai red curries are one of the best things on the planet. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I kind of got the bug then, and everything was just like this, you know, catching up with 
with the potential flavors of the world. So yeah, that was a that was a bit of an inline. Have you ever had um, in a curry house? Have you ever had a lassie? Yes, I have. They are astonishingly good. They're <laughs> really good, like milky milky drinks. That um... it's a blended Solero, basically. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> and they're really good, but I never find that they're that useful to combat heat. Um, I think um, the milkiness does to be that help. That. I think the cream there. It does. I think maybe it helps other people better. But like, like I say, like the fizzy a fizzy drink, like is something that almost gets into the gets into the the, the corners. You know, mm. like it it digs digs in and kind I know of you like mean. you know. But I remember yeah. the first time I had a last, I didn't know what the hell it was, and I tried it, and I was like, well, this is ridiculously delicious. It's great. Yeah, they're brilliant. Yeah. Mango lassi, man. If you don't know what it is, get one and your life will change. Thinking I'm a, I'm a sucker for a kebab as well. We've discovered how nice chili sauce is on kebabs, so yeah, mm. it's good. Thanks, you've made me hungry now. What's everyone's favourite curry? Oh, I'm going to be really boring. I've not tried that many curries. Like I said, Thai red curries are kind of... like that. It's not an Indian so, curry that's yeah. my favourite. It's definitely Thai red. That's my, that's my go-to. They're pretty fucking great. I would go for a garlic chicken bolty. Yeah. Has to be a bolty. That's a Birmingham... Uh, uh, for me, yeah. Thing, it's, it? the, it's the traditional food of my people. <laughs> if you're Invented in Birmingham. <laughs> uh, I think for me it has to be a, a pathia, which is like slightly sweet, but also sour at the same time, and it's got like medium... Yeah, we spent like 15 odd years complaining about people reducing Red Dwarf to curry and lager references. <laughs> Once you get into <laughs> We've it. We've just spent a good five minutes. It's not our it. fault that someone asks us the question. It's their bloody fault. Well, yeah. we, you know, this, we're not saying that like literally the entirety of Lister's character is, you know, about, you know, curry. Do you know what my favourite um, curry and cheap lager combination is? Uh, the one that was sent up to space on a weather balloon uh, <laughs> to celebrate the launch of Series 10. Oh my God, I've just had a... <laughs> Every time I remember that, I just think of the the the, the live stream, like early days of live stream, where they <laughs> oh, they cooked it up in so many <laughs> wonderfully memorable ways. Oh, that was that was cutting to the wrong live stream. Yeah, embedding the wrong live stream into the website for a start. Like, what's so the cat you just called had to, that jumps in boxes? There's a cat in a box and intercut with an old woman <laughs> calling EA Games a bunch of fucking cunts. <laughs> <laughs> And then it cut to Vindaluna. Oh, um, actually, there's a surprising amount. So, um, a surprising amount of Red Dwarf curry things come into my head now. But um, I think it was the first DJ I went to where I won a the the Japanese um, oh yeah curry. And I don't know if it was that. It might have been 2004, but it was early on. So it was it was this. It was officially licensed curry that they released in Japan. And I think um, Danny's. Uh, Japanese mates brought it over, oh, yeah. and so it was raffled. And I Danny won John it. Jules, not this Danny. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Danny John Jules. Um, I forget his name, so I don't want to get it wrong. Um... Danny John Jules. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it, it right. It's, it's in the credits. Um, <laughs> Play that Dracula in Red Dwarf. <laughs> and so I had it. I just had it sitting around, like in. The, I just I put it in the fridge, I think. And in the end, I ate it. Because I thought, like, what is the point of me having this thing? Right, I'm not gonna keep it as like that. Like, I kept the the outer case and I ate it, and it was perfect. It was perfectly fine. It was probably really advisable to to have ate it, even though it was sealed. But the fact that it had come across like I don't know which direction you fly from Japan, you're up, overland, so it hadn't come over the Pacific, but it'd come from Japan and been sat, you know, in bags and everything. And, but anyway, it was it was perfectly fine. But then you know, 
that's an interesting thing that is Japan got that that bit of merchandise and they never really did that here. There was I remember in Iceland in the mid nineties they used to sell uh, chips behaving badly, <laughs> which was officially licensed men behaving badly product, which was. Uh, it's basically microchips, frozen When you say Iceland, do you mean chips. the shop, not the uh, country? Yeah, the UK okay. supermarket. I was going to say, that's a very okay. niche market. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I thought you meant the country. Uh, that show is huge in Reykjavik. Because that's we were what I thought Japan, you meant. As soon as you said Iceland, <laughs> you never know. I just, because it was so long ago as well, I was like, is Iceland, was it not B-Jam at the time? Was that not when it was actually a fucking thing? It's like, it's, my brain just kind of had to go backwards. That bees don't make jam. Bees make honey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my brain. Hurt. In conclusion, <laughs> that was ah. So you're a waffle, waffle man. man. So that was Waffleman, and that was our dwarfcast for today. Uh, we'll we'll be continuing with our commentaries on the Dave era in a two podcasts time uh, with Officer Rimmer, as you might expect. Uh, but in the meantime, the very next one that we do will Dwarfcast Book Club, uh, starting our coverage of the Better Than Life novel uh, with part one, Game Over. That will be coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, in the meantime, if you're looking for something to do, why not leave us a review on iTunes, uh, which is something we asked for a while ago and then forgot to keep asking, but now we're asking again because there's actually been one. Well, yeah, cr- Criminologist 77s roughly a month ago now. Uh, great content for all fans of Red Dwarf is the summary there. So thank Criminologist 77. Um, I, d- tell, tell your 76 mates to listen as your 76 fellow criminologist. Yeah. Uh, if you agree with the criminologist community there uh, that we're good, then say so on iTunes and more people might listen to us and we wouldn't be just be talking to ourselves Screaming every other Saturday for no reason. I don't actually like talking to these people. I only do it for clicks. <laughs> but anyway, if you don't want to do that, then why not just follow us on Twitter? Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. Or just do nothing and wait for the next podcast to come your way. But in the meantime, please do stay safe, and as always... Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.